This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the fourth episode of the Deranged Story of Jesus podcasts. In this episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing one of Jesus' closest followers and friends. Really? Who is that? His name is Simon. Well, actually, he's named Peter. So, which is it? Simon or Peter? Well, it's really both. You see, when he was born, his parents named him Simon. But after Jesus got to know him pretty well, he changed his name to Peter. Jesus changed his name? Why would Jesus change his name? Remember that Jesus was God in the flesh. And throughout history, God changed several people's names, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures. So why did God change their names? It seems that when God decided that someone should do something that would influence the world in a positive way, God would give that person a new name that represented what that person was supposed to do and who that person was supposed to become. Okay, like who? Let's see. There was Abram, who God renamed Abraham. Abram was chosen to become the great patriarch or the physical and spiritual father of the whole nation of Israel. As Abram, he had no children. But after God renamed him, his wife had a son, whose wives, actually they could have more than one wife back in those days. Oh no, we're not going there. Yeah, good idea. Whose wives had more sons and their wives had more sons and on and on until every Jewish person today can trace their lineage back to Abraham. And so can many of the followers of Islam. But that's a whole different and pretty complicated story that we can get into at a different time. The name Abraham actually means the father of many. Oh, so who else got renamed? There was Sarai, who was Abraham's wife. And her name was changed to Sarah, which means the mother of nations. There was Jacob, who God renamed Israel, which means he who has the power of God. He had 12 sons, whose children became the 12 tribes of Israel. So, this name change thing looks like it's just something to do with making babies? Who did Simon become the father of? God's name changing didn't just have to do with making babies. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock, because Peter was to become the stabilizing force for all of Christianity, and he did. Okay. Well, I appreciate learning all of that stuff about names and renames, but I think we're a little off track from the Jesus story. You're absolutely right, so let's get back to it. So, do you want to introduce our guest today? I would be happy to. As you have already heard, in this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Simon, who Jesus named Peter. He was one of the first disciples of Jesus, and he is going to talk with us about some of his experiences and how his time with Jesus influenced his life. Welcome. So, should we address you as Simon Peter or Simon Peter? Thank you for inviting me. I think it would be easier if you just call me Peter. Okay, Peter. 
I know that you had many wonderful experiences with Jesus, so please feel free to share anything you would like with us about your time with him. Thanks. Since we do have kind of a limited time, I think I'll talk some of what was most important to me. I should start by telling you how I met Jesus. I come from a town in Galilee called Bethsaida, but I've spent most of my adult life in Capernaum. It's about 10 miles away from Bethsaida on the Northwest Sea of Galilee. I owned a fishing business with my brother Andrew and a couple of my best friends, Jimmy and John, and their father Zebedee. We had a few boats and we were pretty successful. I'll never forget the day I first met him, Jesus that is. Andy and I had been fishing all night and we hadn't really caught much of anything. We'd finally given up and put into shore, and we were getting ready to wash our nets, stow all of our gear, and head for home. We were on my boat, and we looked up and saw this big group of people on the beach all crowded around this one guy. He was trying to talk to them, but they were obviously having trouble hearing what he had to say. So, we were standing there in a boat looking at all this, and the guy walks right up to us and climbs into our boat with us. He didn't ask permission to come aboard or anything. And right away, he asked me if I could put the boat out a little way from shore so the people could hear what he had to say. My first thought was to throw him into the water. But we didn't have anything better to do, so we shoved off about 15 or 20 feet from shore and dropped the anchor. He sits down in the bow of the boat and starts talking. Well, there was no place for me to go, so I didn't have much of a choice but to listen. As he talked, I was completely caught off guard. He was facing the people on the shore, but it felt like he was talking directly to me, like he knew my hopes, my fears, my dreams, like he knew everything about me. He talked about what life could be, about God, about how the world could be changed for the better and how we could all be a part of that change. He talked about how we could live our lives in a whole new and exciting way. I was completely spellbound. It was like I was caught in the net of his words. No, not just his words. I was caught in his vision, his, his whole presence. And I had no desire to escape from that net. When Andy and I talked later, he said he felt the same way. So, when he had finished talking and the people started to leave, Andy and I got ready to bring the boat back ashore. But he stopped us. He told me to put out into deep water and let down our nets for a catch. You know what I really hate? I hate it when people who aren't fishermen tell fishermen how to catch fish. I looked at him and said, Mister, you're an amazing person, but you're no fisherman. We worked all night and caught nothing. We sure aren't going to catch anything at this time of day. He didn't say a word. He just smiled, gave me a look that touched my very bone marrow. So I sighed and said, okay, okay, whatever you say. Andy and I put out a few hundred feet away from the shore and dropped the nets. My God, they were instantly so full of fish that they started to tear apart. It was the biggest catch we'd ever seen. I yelled to Jimmy and John to bring their boat and help us haul the catch in. They did, and we pulled so many fish out of the nets that both boats were starting to sink. Then, up to my behind in fish, 
I looked up at Jesus smiling at me, and I was terrified. I said to him, Mister, you need to get away from me. I'm a bad person and you are... I don't know who or what you are, but you scare me. He walked over and put his hand on my shoulder. He smiled again and said, You don't need to be afraid of me or of anything else. From now on, all of you will be fishing for people. And suddenly I was overwhelmed by this incredible sense of relief, of comfort, of security, of peace. I think all four of us were, because we just pulled the boats full of fish up onto the shore and we all jumped out of them, and then we followed him down the beach. I'm pretty sure I heard old Zeb screaming bloody murder at us to come back and help with the catch. But that wasn't going to happen. Besides, I knew he could handle the fishing business while we were away. We were beginning a whole new kind of business. No, it wasn't a business. We were beginning a whole new life. And that, that's how my time with Jesus started. What a wonderful and moving story. But just leaving everything to follow him must have been a pretty difficult decision. I guess it was and it wasn't. One thing was crystal clear for all of us. Ignoring his invitation to follow and fish for people was never an option. And honestly, I don't believe any of us ever thought that we might really be giving up anything that was valuable. Even though we would never be able to explain why or how, we knew that what we had experienced on that day and what he was calling us to become was going to change everything and everybody in our lives for the better. And we knew that the reason he had come wasn't just to change us. He was here to change the whole world for the better. Again, that was such a great story. Now I'm sure you have other experiences you could tell us about. Grace, I spent almost three years with him. I could tell you stories like that for days and we barely scratched the surface. Well, as much as I and all our listeners would love to hear them, I'm afraid that we don't have days to listen. How about if you just tell us one more? Sure. I'll tell you about one of my favorite experiences. This happened about a year and a half after the day I followed him on that beach. Even though he had gathered a lot of followers, both men and women who considered themselves disciples, he formed an inner circle of 12 of us who were closest to him, and we were available to help spread the message that he taught and do whatever else needed to be done for him. The experience that I want to talk about now happened right after we all learned that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod Antipas. He was a Jewish-slash-Roman governor of Galilee. We all knew who John was. In fact, he had baptized Jesus, Andrew, and me when he was preaching near the Jordan River. We heard about what happened to him from some of his disciples, and it shocked all of us. I think it even had an effect on Jesus, because he had us get a boat, and we all sailed to a quiet and out-of-the-way place on the opposite side of the Galilean Sea. Getting away from everything seemed like a really good idea, but by now he had done so many miraculous healings and become so popular with his teaching and preaching that there was no place to escape from people who needed his help and who wanted to hear his message. So as soon as we got to the other side by boat, they were already there waiting for him. You know, 
Even when he was sad or exhausted, he never could turn people away. So he healed the sick and talked to them about love, life, and building a new world for several hours. And it was starting to get dark, so we came to him and said, Look, we're in the middle of nowhere and these people are going to have to eat something soon. Can't you just tell them to go home? I knew we were in trouble as soon as I saw that weird look in his eyes. He always got that look just before he came up with some crazy miraculous idea that was going to either get us all into trouble or create a whole lot of work for us. He looked up and said, They don't need to go home. You feed them. Immediately I started to whisper to the others, Everybody just stay quiet. Don't say anything. If we don't respond, maybe he'll just let it go. But my brother Andy just can't ever keep his mouth shut. So Andy blurts out, How can we feed them? We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, and there must be at least 5,000 of them out there. That's when Jesus grinned, looked at Andy, looked at us, and said, Go get the food and bring back 12 baskets from the boat. Then he told everybody to sit down on the grass. So Andy brought the fish and the bread, and we brought the baskets, and Jesus took it. He said a blessing and started breaking it up into the baskets. As soon as he filled one, one of us would grab it, carry it out, and give the food to the people. We came back and refilled the baskets and carried them out and came back and refilled and on and on until everybody had eaten as much as they could, all 5,000 of them. And then, when we carried what were supposed to be empty baskets back to where Jesus was sitting, we realized they were still full of fish and bread. I can't say we were surprised. We had all seen him do enough miracles to know that he could pretty much do anything if he wanted to. Anyway, after they had eaten, the people finally left, and Jesus told all of us to get back into the boat and take it across to the other side of the waterway. He said he needed some alone time, so he was going to go up on a mountainside by himself, and he'd meet us on the other side of the water. We all wondered how he was going to get across the water, but none of us, not even Andy, said anything this time. So, we spent all night trying to get across. There was a huge storm with a strong wind that seemed to be blowing against us no matter what direction we went. And the sea, it was incredibly rough. We couldn't seem to make much headway trying to tack. And even though we made a little more when we dropped the sail and started to row, it was still painfully slow going. Just as the sun was starting to come up, one of the guys looked up and said he saw somebody walking toward our boat on the water. So we all jumped up to look, and sure enough, there was this guy walking on the water like it was dry land, raging storm and all. As he got closer, somebody yelled out, It's a ghost! And everybody else started screaming and trying to hide like a bunch of 12-year-old girls. That's when we heard his unmistakable voice. It was Jesus walking on the water. And he called out, Calm down. You don't need to be afraid, it's me. So everybody stopped screaming, uncovered their heads, and looked out to where he was. As soon as my eyes met his, I felt the same way I had when I first heard his voice on that beach in Capernaum. I went to the side of the boat, and he was about 15 yards away, standing in the waves. I don't know why, but I said, Jesus, 
Can I walk on the water with you? He gave me this knowing smile, and then he reached out his hand toward me and said, Come on. I never even thought twice about it. My eyes were still locked on his as I jumped over the gunnel and landed in the water. It felt wet, but it also felt solid like hard-packed sand. With my eyes still fixed on his, I started to walk toward him. After just a few steps, a strong gust of wind jarred me and I felt a little off balance. I guess it was a reflex, but I looked down as I was trying to catch myself, and for the first time, I saw the waves breaking against the boat and the howling wind whipping all around me. That's when the voice in the back of my mind screamed out, Are you crazy? What do you think you're doing? You can't walk on water. Get back in the boat. That's also when I started to panic and sink into the heaving sea. Immediately I looked around, but I couldn't see Jesus anymore. All I could do was scream out, Oh God, save me. And there he was, right beside me. He reached out his hand and caught me by the arm as I was sinking. And when I looked up into his eyes, he said, in this calm and very soothing voice, What happened? You were doing it. Why did you doubt? I don't remember what I was thinking, but I know that I didn't say anything. Then he paused and sounded a little disappointed and said, You have such little faith. As soon as we climbed back into the boat, the wind died down and the sea became totally calm. We were all just standing there in stunned and awkward silence looking at him. Finally, somebody spoke, and I can't say who it was. In fact, it may have even been me. But whoever it was, somebody just blurted out, It's all true. You are the Son of God. Then we all knelt down in front of him and we all said it again, together. It's all true. You are the Son of God. Wow. Peter, what an incredible experience. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. And thank you for allowing us into your thoughts and emotions as you told it. I so wish we could listen to more, but I'm afraid we are out of time for today. It's been my pleasure to be with you. So please feel free to ask me back again. Oh, I know that we would all love for that to happen. But for now, we need to say shalom. And remember that there are many more episodes to come in the Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Thanks for listening. listening.